1: Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Okay, before we get into like crazy, insane, disgusting Tony Alamo today, mm-hmm. I have a sad story. Oh, mm-hmm. well, maybe not sad. It's it's upsetting. I got some I got some great flared jeans. <laughs> they are very flared at the bottom. I know the story. And so I get to my son's daycare yesterday to pick him up. And he looks at me and goes, I can't see your feet. I'm like, (laughs) okay, well, yeah, they're like, they're long or whatever. And he's like, those pants are too big for you. I'm like, they're not too big for me. They're flared. They're supposed to be flared at the bottom. He was like, those are too big. You need smaller pants. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) Well, you got to think. In his little three years of life, he's probably, he's not lived through a a bell-bottom phase. No, (laughs) He's like, what is happening? I know. I know. But my question, we can still wear the skinny jeans though too, right? You can wear whatever the fuck you want to wear. That's my motto. Yeah, but that's not who I am. What is acceptable? Yes. The answer is yes. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. So the three-year-old doesn't get the flares. The five-year-old did not even notice. (laughs) He's turning into quite the young man, he? <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, he's like, I'm hungry. Yeah, that was about there are it. pants involved. What, yeah, so that's my bell bottom story. I need some bell bottoms. I bought some bell bottoms, and I don't like when certain places have jeans. Why would you make jeans small, medium, large, extra small? Like, put a friggin' number on those guys mm. because mm-hmm. I don't know which ones to get, and I got smalls because. That brand, I'm usually a small. And then I got them and I was like, oh, it's a stuffed sausage situation. Like, Uh, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. I was struggling with them. And they were low rise because they hate me. Okay, that I cannot get behind. Mm -hmm. This injustice will not stand. We cannot have a low rise comeback. No, stuffed sausage. Extra high rise. Plus busted cannabis biscuits. it was not cute. Mm -mm, mm -mm, Those are not good. I'm sure you look great, but I know Mm -hmm. exactly how you feel. I had to wear a flowier top Mm -hmm. to disguise the muffin top. Sure. And then eventually I was like, these aren't worth it. They just hurt. Yeah. Exactly. It's not worth it. They hurt my feelings. They hurt my pride. They hurt, yeah, my confidence, all of the things. All the things. They hurt my hips. So I'm not going to do it. Yep. We need the high rise. High rise and numbers on jeans. Yep. I'm behind yeah. this. Let's start a petition. Well, because, yeah, exactly. Let's do that. exactly. All right. Now well, we got that out of the way. I think that was a very important thing to talk about. Well, sure. And I feel like it's one of those conversations that while it's tough to have, mm-hmm. it is important because yeah. changes aren't going to be made unless we start talking about it. Exactly. We're bringing awareness mm-hmm. to the low-rise gene with no number on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. All right. So today's case, this is a part two. If you didn't listen to part one, you're going to be lost. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to listen if you don't want to. If if the name of the game is being lost and not knowing what the hell anybody's talking about, go for it. Go for it. Then this is exactly where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you you do probably want to go back and listen. We do have some trigger warnings we've got. There's a lot in this one, mm-hmm. guys assaults, cults, child abuse, death, emotional abuse, pedophilia, child pornography, physical abuse, rape, sexual abuse, sexual assault, terminal illness, and torture. Every time I'm like, is it going to end ever? I know. It's awful. So just to catch you up, we talked last week. I mean, the whole thing is about the Alamo Christian Foundation Last week, we talked about it with Susan and Tony Alamo at the yeah, home. And we, we got into how it started, and then we ended abruptly with Susan lying through her teeth through uh-huh. her entire life, saying that she had terminal cancer, <laughs> but she was being cured. And then she actually got, got terminal cancer, which is what we in the biz call karma. hmm mm-hmm, Yeah. And then she died. And she died, yeah. And so now Tony is going to be taking over. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, spoiler alert, it's not going to go well. Ooh. I mean, it kind of goes well for him, but. Well, it goes well and then it doesn't, and then it kind of does again. We'll, we'll get into it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Before we jump into it, as a reminder, if you want extra episodes, you can check out our Patreon. We've yeah, got man. bunches of them over there oodles and oodles. Mm hmm. Oodles and oodles of noodles, but also episodes. Yeah. No, actually, no noodles. Well, they're, so they're, they're, yeah, I don't want to mislead true. you. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You won't find the noodles there, but hundreds, hundreds of episodes to download and binge right this very second. And all of it ad free, y'all. Mm-hmm. If you join at the $10 level, you can get upwards of four episodes a week. Mm hmm. I mean, that's crazy. It's insane. Two full cases, one. Episode by episode, coverage of docu series, and then one of just like our personal lives, like what we have going on, wonderments we may have, sure those types of things. So important conversations like bell bottoms. yeah, things yeah. like that. Yes. Yeah. And then of course, if you want to actually physically chat with us live, check out our show True Crime Remind on Spotify Green Room. Tuesday nights, eight o'clock central. We hash out a little bit of a case, and then we literally get you guys up to talk. We got to talk to Steve. We got to talk to Norma. We got to talk to Chris Crystal Shannon. Crystal, yes, like these are all people who got to talk with us, and it's so fun. It's so it's fun. It's people we got to talk with. I mean, if we're being honest. So yeah, yeah, check it out. And I think that's I think that's the business. I think so too. Let's do it. Let's do it. So life with Susan and Tony was bad, but once Susan died, Tony became a true monster. The spankings increased in severity and frequency. Tony had a paddle that he used to beat the children. It was a long wooden paddle with a handle and holes drilled into it. I'm remembering Dazed and Confused. I actually don't think I've ever seen that movie. <laughs> Torella? I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> and all the senior guys make those paddles. And Roy, I think his name is Roy O'Ban. No, that's um his name, his last name is O'Banion, I think. But I'm thinking I put together Shanghai Noon and this movie. But it's um Ben Affleck's character, and he makes a huge one and he goes to like paddle all of the new they're gonna be freshmen the next year. Mm. And so that's what I'm thinking of. But that Ben Affleck is in that movie? <sighs> Clearly, you haven't seen it. Yeah, Why are you know so that. stupid? <laughs> no, I knew Matthew McConaughey was in it, but <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. that's it. No, wow. um, I mean yes. Anyway, yeah. So this wooden paddle was referred to as the Board of Education, which is like, you know, they were so smug and they were like, <laughs> you board see what on, I did the there because it's like education. a board, mm. but it's like yeah, like the Board of Education. Fuck off. How clever am I? Yeah, whatever, idiots. Grown men would hold and lift the child into the air while the other man held the board like a baseball bat. Tony would often be on speakerphone in the room, but not in the actual room. And he would instruct them to chop wood and they'd swing the paddle with all their might. They literally, these are, and like the board is is very long. Like it's like a cricket bat. Yeah, yeah. And when I think of a paddle, you know, you kind of think of something a little smaller than that. Although we grew up in the days of like, being paddled in school. Yeah. The paddle was not that big. Yeah, exactly. I've seen the paddle. I never, I never had, I I never got paddled. No. No. Seeing it was enough of a punishment. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Which is still like blows my mind that that was even a thing, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that was smaller. This is so long. Like you said, like a cricket bat and these grown men, they've got a child in front of them. And the instruction was to put everything you have into it. And if you don't, you're getting it next. Mm-hmm. And like, these are grown men who are swinging like as if they're trying to hit a home run. hmm Beating these children. I don't I mean, know. I, I could not do it. No, I couldn't mm-hmm. do it. I'd ha- I'd have to just get my ass kicked. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way I could beat a child like that. mm I can't imagine the noises. Oh, my gosh. By this time, Tony had created another source of income. He was advertising and selling handmade jean jackets. These jackets were created by hand, airbrushed, and bejeweled. Obviously, none of this work was done by Tony. The followers worked on them, and then Tony decided to have the children do the work. They had smaller hands and were able to apply the jewels and rhinestones more precisely. This essentially created a sweatshop. After the evening prayer meeting, the children were bused to a location to work on jackets until... Late into the night, and the jackets became incredibly, extremely popular, even with celebrities. And the thing about these jackets is, as much as I hate Tony and everything that he stands for and everything that he's ever done, they are kind of cool. I would wear one. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I saw them and I was like, Tori would probably wear that, <laughs> you know, like cool. in, a, in the most negative way possible. Yeah, I got that, honestly. <laughs> well, but, I mean, I wouldn't wear something that I knew was right. produced by a sweatshop full of children,
0: right. but
1: if like the the style of it and the look of it, I do like it. but it's uh, like I don't how did he get this idea? Like it's so random. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's just and like tons of celebrities wore them, oh, yeah. So he sold them in mainstream stores and photos were published in magazines of celebrities sporting their Tony Alamo design. This one hurts, guys. It does, it hurts. Dolly Parton, mm-hmm. Mike Tyson, Brooke Shields, Sonny of Sonny and Cher, and Mr. T were the, some of the ones that were sporting his designs. This kind of celebrity support of his designs validated his foundation to the public and gave him more avenues to continue working or making money. The children were never paid for their work. No, of course not. And it's just like, I mean, honestly, though, like what was Tony supposed to do? You know, because it's like you could have adults make the jackets with their large fingers. Where are you going to find adults with tiny child hands? Exactly. This side of Charlie's uncle from It's Always Sunny. Well, that's true. And also, you have to pay adults. Yeah. Well, no, you don't. Not for Tony Lama. Well, Obama. that's true. That's true. You I mean but you have to pay them, them, but then you then have you can to just take it back. Well, yeah, you got to go through the whole thing of like redepositing yeah, the checks. That's like a whole thing. You yeah. got to get signatures. It's a whole thing. So if you just have the kids do it with their teensy little fingers, you make your jackets faster. You don't have to pay children. What are they going to do? Tattle on you? Exactly. I mean, and let's be. Honest, I don't know how old these children are, but it goes back to my days where my cousin was like, Why can't you color inside of the lions? Is it because you're (laughs) left handed? Kids don't have the dexterity. Mm. I'm guessing that they had to work very, very long and hard to get these right because you know Tony or whoever is not going to be like, Oh, it's fine if it's a little off. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, this has got to be fit for a celebrity. I just can't with this fucking guy. It's so the thing about Tony that we're going to come to find out is he doesn't really think he's doing anything wrong here. Uh, uh, uh. So it's just like, he's just like, well, what? What? Well, and you got to wonder, is it because he's been telling himself this lie for so many years that he's believing it or did he mm. always believe it? Yeah, that's a good question. And then the kids were like, of course we didn't get paid. We didn't even get a jacket. <laughs> no, not like, even a jacket. Oh my God. So shitty. I cannot. Not that... <sighs> I mean, obviously they weren't like, oh, cool. We'll work for millions and millions of hours for free as long as we get one of those jackets. Yeah, it's like exactly. like the least he could fucking do. I know, right? Like they have literally probably like put their blood, sweat, and tears into these damn jackets. And mm-hmm. like, and you know, at the time they were so cool. So it's like, yeah, you can't even let him have one. Like he's just a fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. In 1985, Tony lost the labor suit that was filed against him and was forced to pay wages to his followers. Four months later, the IRS revoked the foundation's tax-exempt status, leaving him owing approximately $7.9 million. This is in 1985. Wow. That's like $200 billion trillion yeah, exactly. dollars now. <laughs> exactly. I'm no mathematician, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yeah. He told Brigida that nothing was in his name, that it was all part of the foundation, and if she ever left him, she'd get nothing, and God would kill her. I, he, yeah. Did we even talk about Brigida yet? Though? No, I don't know. Okay. Brigida was the second wife. Yes. She was, he had like, I guess he'd come into a store and he had some, like he was shopping or whatever. And she either worked there or owned it. And she said there were, you know, like a bunch of like younger, like college age girls working, but he just wanted to talk to her. And then they fall in love and they get married. Yes. And, and Brigida is Swedish. Yes, and she's not a Christian. No. She does not not believe in God. (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't believe in God. The followers were very like, what is happening here? Like, how could you bring somebody in? It was confusing for them. But guess why he chose her? Because she looked so damn much like Susan. Yeah, she looked a lot like Susan. Yes, so he was like, okay, no big deal. I lost my wife. That's fine. I will just replace her. Yeah. With another one. With another Susan. I can't believe he didn't make her go by Susan. Yeah. Honestly. It's really wild. So that's the story of Brigitte. He was very, very violent towards her. Very violent. And, which is a far cry from the way he was with Susan because Susan ran the show. But mm-hmm. Brigitte was not, I mean, <sighs> Brigida is not evil. So she right. probably actually loved him and exactly. wanted to be, Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So he told her that if she ever left him, she'd get nothing and God would kill her. He tried to strangle her multiple times. Finally, after two years of marriage, Brigitte filed for divorce from Tony. Brigida said that Tony was crazy and had her followed for years after, which I'm not surprised. Years. Yeah. Years. Mm-hmm. years. So Tony starts preaching the Old Testament to his followers and saying that the Bible told him that he could have several wives. Not in the Bible. I was going to say, can we please get a, a page number? Mm-hmm, exactly. And he also said that God would send them to him. He was almighty to his followers and he knew it. He said that he could slit someone's throat in front of the church, let them bleed out, and everyone would think it was okay because he was the prophet. Oh my God, the power and control, the power trip that this guy's on. Yeah, it's so sad too, because it's just, you're leading people away from the things of God, but making them believe that you are getting this information directly from God. It's just, that is such, such a powerful way to play with somebody. And it's, it's really, really just so hurtful. Like, yeah, these are the kind of things that like damage somebody's psyche for a long time. You know, it's like, yeah, if their religion is the foundation of everything that they're doing and you're, you know, they find out years later that it's like, oh, he made it all up. I don't know. It's just, yeah, he's exploiting that. And yeah. I know that what's not in the Bible is to have multiple wives. What is in the Bible is to not follow false prophets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to not be a false prophet. Exactly. It's just also it's very strange to me how it was like when when Susan was still around, she was the prophet. So how did that just get transferred to Tony? I'm sure he spewed some bullshit that was like, "Yeah, of course. Like I absorbed the Uh profit from her." It's like it doesn't just jump around. Like I don't know. It's just so weird. Who are you, House of Pain? (laughs) Jump around. Okay, so Tony wanted to at this time expand the church to Miami, and Carrie Miller, which was the um, the guy who. We talked about in the last episode who like his brother was a trucker and or his brother was there, too. And they end up doing this trucking business, all this kind of stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. Carrie believed it was because of the influence from a new television show called Miami Vice. They rented a building in Miami and began working to recruit more followers. And a young boy, Justin Miller, noticed the group and started following Carrie around while he was there. Justin mostly spent his time alone. His mother was addicted to drugs and she was a single mom. And Justin craved the adult influence that Carrie gave him and he called him Uncle Carrie. And with his mother's permission, they brought Justin with them to Arkansas for a few weeks. And then after they got there, they got word that Justin's mother had died. Mm -hmm. So Carrie and his wife, Carol, ended up adopting Justin. And he's, we're not totally sure of his age at this time, but I'm thinking he might be around eight or nine-ish. I was going to say like nine, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And Justin was kind of, you know, like like something strange to the kids at the foundation because these kids grew up in the foundation. They'd never seen anything outside of that. They've never experienced life outside of that. But Justin had. He came from the outside world. And so he had a different perspective. And the kids quickly grew close to him because he was always happy. He was a fun kid to be around. And he was just that, like, oh, wow, he's, you know, he's from outside the foundation. Like he's mm-hmm. the cool kid. Yep. Yeah. In 1987, Carrie and his brother Bob started the trunking. Hmm. The trucking, trunking. I don't know if they got into trunks as much as trucking. Right. They yeah. made, they might have put trunks in the trucks. We don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. And that quickly became very lucrative. But unfortunately, they were pretty much forced to cash their checks and hand them over to Tony. Carrie was on the road a lot, which left Justin at home alone with Carol. Since Carrie hadn't had children before he adopted Justin, he was in the dark about the abuse that went on. When he returned from a trucking trip, not trunking, Mm -hmm. he walked into a room and saw a child being paddled. He immediately told Carol they had to leave. She cried, screaming that she didn't want to burn in hell. Bob agreed with Carrie and wanted to leave, but neither could convince their wives to join them. One night, Carrie and Bob snuck off the ridge and into the woods. People began running after them, and they heard multiple gunshots in their direction. They had no doubt that the men would have shot and killed them both without hesitation. Tony always told the followers that if they ever left, their families and loved ones would be the ones to suffer. It's got to be terrifying, right? Yeah. In 1988, Carrie and Bob snuck back into the ridge in the middle of the night in hopes of getting their children. Carrie woke Carol up and she screamed at the top of her lungs for the guards. Without seeing Justin, Carrie fled once again. In an attempt to continue punishing Carrie, Tony relocated Carol and Justin to Saugus, California at that compound. Once they arrived there, Tony began to make accusations that Justin had the devil in him because he still loved his father. On speakerphone from an adjacent building, Tony ordered a public beating of Justin. He was just 11 years old at this time. Mm -hmm. Several men took turns holding Justin in place and beating him with the paddle. There was blood everywhere. He had to receive 150 hits. Carol and the other mothers watched to ensure that the punishment was carried out. Justin couldn't understand why his mother wasn't protecting him. Four days later, he laid on his stomach on the floor, fading in and out of consciousness. I mean, that's... He he seriously was almost beaten to death. Mm -hmm. He couldn't move for days. Mm He just laid in the floor where he was beaten. Exactly. How do you watch that as a mother? I just. I know. I mean, you have to be completely brainwashed into thinking that you're actually doing some right. good. Yeah. Yeah. And her, her screaming, I don't want to burn in hell about not leaving. I mean, that tells you, you know, kind of where her mindset is. But like, Carrie was like, uh-uh, I saw this and it, we're done here. Yeah, exactly. I cannot deal with this. After three months of searching, Carrie and Bob found that their children were in the Saugus compound. This meant that the foundation and the children's mothers were guilty of kidnapping and bringing their children over state lines. In March of 1988, they got a court order for custody of their children. Police went to the compound to retrieve them. The followers hid Justin, but one finally pulled him out from under a bed. They told him that his father was there and he'd be safe now. During the raid, Tony was in New York City promoting his jackets. (laughs) priorities uh, exactly gotta go promote my jackets guys (laughs) (laughs) those jackets aren't gonna sell themselves exactly justin told police about the beating he'd received police gathered the rest of the children to check them for abuse in october of 88 tony was charged with child abuse for the beating of justin miller tony of course didn't turn himself in the media quickly became involved interviewing justin and carrie and getting the story about what the foundation was truly like behind closed doors Carrie and Bob brought a civil suit against Tony in Arkansas. Tony ran. What a freaking coward. Mm-hmm. Despite being in hiding, he continued to run his church by speakerphone. <laughs> just, just like the old days. Yeah, just like, I just imagine like a megaphone. Like, hey guys, make sure you do it. Like, I don't know. He's just I know. Like, but they followed him. They followed him. Tony would record three, two to three hour tapes of himself giving sermons. He continued to give more frequent instructions to followers to move people, separate them from their families, beat other followers, and to punish people for no reason at all. His sermons grew increasingly more rageful and aggressive. He repeatedly told followers that the police and government would kill them if they could. He constantly threatened to exile people from the church, which was a horrifying prospect for followers because they believed that if Tony exiled them, they'd burn in hell. Finally, in 1989, Sue had enough. Her son was accused of throwing a grapefruit from a bus window, hitting and shattering a car window. They told her that they could either leave the church or her son would be publicly beaten. They decided to leave. And she was so involved. Like, she was so there. But again, she's like, I talked to my son. He said he did not do that. We've seen other children get, you know, stuff blamed on them that didn't happen just so that Mm -hmm. they could be beaten. And she's like, you know, I know my son, and I believe him, and he didn't do this. And I cannot stay here anymore. Yeah. And this is somebody who had given her entire life to this church. Mm-hmm. And good quote, for her, unquote, unquote, man. church. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what a difficult decision that was for her to make. Mm-hmm. Because it's literally him saying, your child could either be beaten within an inch of their life, possibly mm-hmm. killing them, yep. or y'all can all burn in hell. Mm-hmm. But She's thank like, God. I'll take my chances. Yeah, thank God. But it's like, you know, stuff like that is kind of like people are starting to see, too, that they're like, wait a second. The mask is slipping in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, yeah, good for good for her. In 1990, Tony had been in hiding for two years. Carrie and Bob's civil suit went to court. Tony didn't show up. So he was now a federal fugitive and found liable for defrauding, emotionally tormenting, and physically abusing the Miller families. They were awarded $1.8 million in damages. Law enforcement went to the Georgia Ridge compound in order to seize property to pay what was owed to the Millers. A message had gotten out to the followers that the FBI was raiding the Ridge. They were told they'd be killed if they stayed. In the early morning after getting the court order to seize the property, the U.S. Marshals breached the compound. Followers were running in all directions to get away from law enforcement. After searching the buildings, law enforcement noted that Susan's mausoleum was empty. Tony had ordered two construction men to break the mausoleum open, take her coffin, and drive it off the property. He is stealing dead bodies now. Yeah. The... Speechless. Mm-hmm. Speechless. There are no so... words. Yeah, exactly. So Chris, Susan's daughter, heard that Tony had stolen her mother's body. And, you know... Even though Chris and Susan's relationship wasn't uh, necessarily always rosy, she was like, it's still my mother. And she sued Tony for return of her mother's remains. And like in the documentary, she's like, I mean, I can't even believe like I was saying these words out loud, but I was like, give me my mom's body back. Like, stop trying to steal my mom's body. That's, That's so insane. ridiculous to have <laughs> yeah. to say. Yeah. The marshals ended up having most of his belongings, including his store, compound, and his jackets auctioned off. And in the end, Carrie said they saw only about $7,000 of the $1.8 million settlement. Of course, and that's how civil settlements go. It's really about the... Hey, quit doing that. <laughs> yeah, the principal, then the mm-hmm. actual money. Yeah. A week after the raid, Tony called a local journalist, and he told him how angry he was with the judge who'd ordered the seizure of his property. He told the journalist that the judge was going to be tried in God's court. He'd found guilty and then be publicly hanged. He's getting so in over his head and big for his bridges. It's not even funny. Like, you <laughs> cannot do that. No, you cannot say. You can't threaten a federal judge publicly. And of course, this guy published this article. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't like Tony was like trying to be off the record or anything. He didn't care. He thinks no. he can say whatever he wants to say. He's calling exactly. himself the Teflon pastor. Like... He doesn't have to worry about what the laws are. And it's whatever. just, it's so funny to me because in, like, despite being a completely shit human being and putting all of his followers through literal hell on earth, mm-hmm. he is going to call a journalist and be like, listen to what they're doing to me. This is <sighs> not fair. Exactly. Oh, and by the way, this guy's going to be hanged, like, Okay, so we don't, we don't do hangings anymore, guy. No. we did a we while ago. We don't threaten judges. Okay. No, we don't do that. So, of course, this guy published the article. And then instead of the judge being like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You're right. I was totally wrong there. The entirety of the American government came down on Tony and was like, well, we're going to find this asshole now. Mm-hmm. Like, huge manhunt. <laughs> huge. Huge. So Tony then called back the same journalist and told him that he had Susan's body and he was keeping it, that the casket and the body belonged to him. He's like, oh, and by the way, mine. (laughs) Like, it's like a little toddler. I know. Point. What is the point, dude? Despite the nationwide manhunt going on in search of Tony, he was still leading his church and staying in touch with his followers. Inside the Georgia Ridge compound, investigators found detailed lists of all the foundation's followers, including names, phone numbers, date of birth, social security numbers, and license plate numbers. So with this information, the FBI was able to track Tony's phone to a house in Tampa. A newspaper was dropped off at the front porch of the home, and a man walked out of the home to collect it, and he looked a lot like Tony. They breached the door there after there was no response to knocking. Tony was sitting at the kitchen table eating breakfast with a large amount of cash on the table. He asked the team how they found him, and an officer told him that it was divine intervention, saying that the Lord had led them to him. (laughs) Ooh, that's gotta hurt. Mm -hmm. When they let him out in handcuffs, he was wearing a tie-dyed shirt with aviator sunglasses that he literally always seemed to have on. He was always wearing those sunglasses. Yes, he was. Like, middle of the day, middle of the night, inside, outside, didn't matter. Well, Jim Jones did the same thing. Yeah. So weird. hmm Susan's body, though, was not at the home, and Tony said he had no knowledge of its whereabouts. Even though he already just said, mine. <laughs> you know? Like, if a toddler has a toy that they are like, mine, 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 mine. they know where it is. Mm-hmm. You know where that body is. Absolutely. It's just ridiculous. He said the charges were false, and of course, he was being framed. He was brought back to Arkansas, where he stood trial in front of a jury for the child abuse charge and threatening a federal judge. And you guys, he was found not guilty. Not guilty. How? Some of the jurors said they were hesitant to encroach on his freedom of religion. You don't get to beat people within an inch of their life because of your religion. You just Mm-mm. don't. Mm-mm. That's not okay. He, you know, of course, is calling himself, like we said, the Teflon pastor. And why wouldn't he? I mean, he's getting away with everything. So, yeah, exactly. He's like, well, you know, I got acquitted for that. What are they going to do to me now? He's like uh, the boss and friends that keep getting the sexual harassment charges. He's like, they keep they keep, throwing these charges at me, I kept knocking them out of the park. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, boom. Exactly. And there were more charges pending against him, but he was released on a $200,000 bond since he was clearly not a flight risk. So he hadn't gone into hiding before this at all. Right. Uh, Yeah. I was going to say, so he's been in hiding for the past (laughs) however long and they're like, I doubt he'll run. Eh. I'm sure he, I'm sure he realized the error of his ways now. Yeah. So Tony wasted no time and orders and ordered his close group of followers to regroup in Fort Smith, Arkansas. He had them buy a building and open up a new church. But investigators hadn't forgotten about Tony. He still had charges pending against him, but they wanted to prioritize their strongest case with the best chance of putting him in jail. They wouldn't be able to get too much out of the child abuse accusation since Tony was not technically in the room, which is so weird because it's like, It's very odd to have like almost like a conspiracy of child abuse Mm -hmm. charge. Like, it's very odd for somebody to be like, you need to beat these children and not be the ones abusing the children. So like, right. I mean, that just makes it more difficult. The only way to put him in prison for a significant amount of time was through the IRS. So in the summer of 1993, Tony went on trial in Memphis for tax evasion and fraud. At the time, he was still free on bond. During trial, Tony invited several followers to dinner in Memphis. At dinner, Tony was surrounded by several 15 to 16-year-old girls. And he said, come here, my wives, to the girls, and put his arms around them, and he was kissing them. So now we're getting into some ultra weird shit, like Mm -hmm. ultra weird. On June 8, 1994, Tony was found guilty on all of the tax charges and sentenced to six years in federal prison. He was housed at the Texarkana Federal Prison. He continued to lead the church from prison because why not? Ironically, him being in prison didn't diminish his power in the least. It made him stronger. Everything that he told his followers was going to happen seemed to actually be happening. So now they're just like, okay, wow, he, he really did call this. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he really is a prophet. And, you know, he was telling them that he was being persecuted for being a prophet. The followers continued to work and make income, donating everything to the ministry. Tony ordered them to purchase a property in Falk, Arkansas. Is it Falk or? It I would Falk, think so. Right? I don't know. Okay. It was a small community and close to where Tony would be released. And it would be easy to gain influence and go undetected. He said that anyone who had children had to move to Arkansas. And he continued to record sermons and send them to the followers. And this area in Arkansas was like, it was like a hop, skip, and a jump away from like three different state lines, mm-hmm. wasn't it? So it was like he yeah. could go anywhere and like yeah. mm-hmm. be somewhere else. There were multiple young girls who worked in Tony's office slash house who were believed to be his wives. And their mothers were super excited when their daughters were brought to live with Tony and be a wife. Even though these girls are very young, this is an honor. mm I just... I'm so gross. It makes me yeah. so sad. His wives would vis- visit him in prison and bring photos of other children so he could pick his new wives. Mm. He gave his current wives instructions to find out if the new wives were virgins or not. And he said that the girls in his church would come tell him when they reached puberty and they would ask if they could be his wife. So like he's doing like a prison interview or something. And he's like, what is the problem here? They would come up to me and be like, hey, Tony, I've reached puberty. And he's like, great. You can now carry a child. Mm -mm. And he's saying that all of this is in the Bible. Right. Which, again, I cannot stress enough. It's not. In 1998, the authorities prepared to release Tony, but Susan's body had to be returned first. The judge told him that if he didn't return the body, he'd be rearrested and sit in jail until it showed up. Shortly after, Susan's body was anonymously delivered to a funeral home. What are the odds of that? Yeah. I mean, it's again, just all in God's timing. <laughs> you know? He didn't My know head. where it was. That's it just what happened. I was going to say. Yeah, he had no idea. It's amazing how that kind of thing works. really is. Unfortunately, Tony was released from prison and he became more secretive and began to focus on what he could control inside the walls of the compound. He knew that no one would say no to Tony, the prophet of God. Tony took his wives into his room and put a ring on their finger and told them they were married. Then he told them they had to consummate the marriage before raping them. The youngest child that Tony took as his wife was eight years old. That is sick. It's absolutely sick. And she had not been through puberty. I was going to say, if if that's what we're using as a marker of if they can be wives, which, by the way, in case you didn't know this, I'm sure you did, still not okay. Hmm. Eight, isn't it? No, absolutely not. Tony had a total of 24 wives with at least nine of them being underage. People who had been exiled or left the church began to take to the internet to tell their stories about the foundation and what was happening, particularly the abuse and polygamy. The FBI read about the allegations of child abuse and knew that this was something that they could get Tony on. But first, they needed one of his wives as a witness. Shortly after being released from jail, Tony had a security system installed with closed circuit televisions in his house. There was no way to go undetected in the compound. His wives were rarely let out of the house. They were schooled, slept, and ate inside of Tony's house. Despite the increasing sexual, physical, and mental abuse, the majority of the Foundation's followers still put their utmost faith in Tony being God's prophet. Ugh, gosh. On June 9th, 2006, a teenager named Amy escaped the Foundation. She was one of Tony, Tony's wives, and she could not stand the abuse anymore. She said that he would beat them for minor mistakes, like running late to breakfast or listening to music he didn't like. Man, I would be in a bit world of trouble because I don't have good taste in music. Oh, that's true. And I would be in a world of trouble for being late, of course, yeah, I would just never make it out of where wherever it is that you get beat. No, no, you would be there for life. but who does he think he I is know. like I know it's making me I'm infuriated, yeah. It's like you dare to listen to music that I don't like, I know right. Okay, sorry. We don't want to listen to Elvis twenty four seven. I'm just picking <laughs> something because it yeah. kind of looks like Elvis. I know. I kind of. That's what I was just gonna say. Like, what? I wonder what Tony did like to listen to. Right. Yeah. Ugh. Whatever. Well, there's anything wrong with Elvis? But. No, 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 no. I love Elvis, but I'm just like, you are not God. You cannot no, control no. everybody's moves. Like, that's not fair. Well, and that's the thing. It's like. Somebody like this who's going around being like, I'm a prophet, you know, God talks to me or whatever. He is trying to be God, like you mm-hmm. said. He believes he is God. Like that's the first indicator that this is a false prophet. Like it's not about God anymore. Mm-hmm. It directly contradicts the teachings right. of Jesus in the Bible. Like Isn't it's just mean, like do not seek false prophets. Like that's false idols. False idols. I mean yeah. same so, so div, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, and that's the thing, because they, and a lot of the followers did say that they put Tony and Susan on the same level as God. And sometimes Mm -hmm. not, if not more so, because Tony and Susan were right there in front of them. Mm -hmm. And they were putting everything they had into these people. It's just, it's just the fucking worst. Yep. But he would rape Amy and tell her that it was between him, her and God though she was able to escape successfully and reunite with her father, she still was afraid that God was going to kill her. Like, even though it was like they knew that what Tony and Susan had been spewing was bullshit, but at the same time, they had that very, very deep fear of, what if they are really prophets, though? hmm What if I'm wrong? Like, it's just so sad. I and feel so fierce. bad for them. hmm Another wife, 15-year-old Desiree, found and contacted her aunt, who agreed to pick her up at a designated spot outside of the compound. On November 3rd, 2006, at 11.30 p.m., Desiree ran through the woods of the compound, dodging guards and cameras, and successfully made it to her aunt. The girls had been brainwashed into believing that if they left Tony's house in the church, they were going to hell. Some of them made the choice that going to hell was better than living the way that they were. that's, I mean... You got to understand how bad that is. Yeah, that is heartbreaking. Decide that potentially spending eternity in hell is Mm -hmm. better. Exactly. It is so sad. Ex-members were quick to tell the authorities that several of Tony's former wives had escaped the compound. Unfortunately, as the police went to these women, hoping they'd tell their story and testify against Tony, they found that just because they left the foundation didn't mean that they didn't still believe that Tony was the prophet. Mm. Amy refused to testify, but Desiree did agree. She still had a little sister living in the compound and wanted to keep her safe. She gave investigators names and ages of the other wives and mentioned that Tony would often take Polaroid photos of the girls while they were nude. He would use a machine to magnify the photos because he had glaucoma. Mm. Gross. Mm -hmm. This changed the game, though. Now we've got child pornography. Charges And that is in the federal jurisdiction. The FBI found out about one of Tony's wives named Summer. Summer was 11 years old when Tony took her on a bus trip to Falk, Arkansas, or from Falk to LA. He sexually assaulted her in the back of the bus. This confirmed that Tony had transported a minor across state lines for illegal purposes. So this gave them what they needed to execute a search warrant on the residence in Falk. When they breached the premises on September 20th, 2008, they found at least six underage girls living in Tony's house, including a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old. Oh my God. It's disgusting. The girls were frightened because Tony had convinced them that the police were intent on murdering them. So he'd shown the church videos and documentaries of Waco, and everybody knows what happened in Waco, Uh, saying that the people in Waco had done nothing wrong and the police will do that to them and that, you know, all the police are here to do is to kill you. They're just going to murder you. They cleared the rest of the house, but Tony was nowhere to be found. Their main priority was to locate the nude Polaroids that Desiree had told them about, but they were unable to find them. They did, however, find two Polaroid cameras and film. Tony had heard rumors about a possible raid to his home in Falk, and he had run. How is he hearing rumors about this? No idea. He's got to have somebody. Yeah, somebody in his pocket, right? Helping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He instructed his wives to destroy any evidence, including the Polaroids. Along with the cameras, they found Viagra, ovulation tests, and multiple sets of wedding rings. But like, that's nothing. No, it's gross, but it's nothing. Yeah, like you find Polaroid cameras and film in court, you can't be like, and those were obviously the ones used to take the pictures of the young girls nude. We just didn't find the pictures of the young girls nude, right? Like, you know, I'm sure some people would try, but that's that's not going to do it. Mm-mm. Over the next several weeks, investigators used the evidence they collected to seek custody of the children that were within the church. The children were taken and put with Child Protective Services and eventually placed into foster care. Police told parents that if they agreed to raise their children outside of the foundation, the children would be returned to them. Some parents agreed. Some parents did not. And this showed investigators how truly strong the hold was that Tony had on his followers. I mean, for these people to be like, well, then I'm just not going to raise my own child. Right. Just leave them in foster care then. Yeah. I'm not a parent, but I can't imagine making that call. Absolutely not. News outlets began to explode with the new information about the allegations of child abuse inside the foundation. Tony had a secret cell phone number that he believed no one knew about. (laughs) He's so stupid. He's so stupid. Thank God in heaven. I know. He used this to stay in touch with his followers. What he didn't know is that the FBI knew about the phone and had put a trace on the number. They were able to find Tony at a hotel in Flagstaff, Arizona, By law, he had to be indicted within 30 days of being arrested or he'd be released. They weren't able to charge him with the child abuse since they were still unable to locate any of the photos. They felt their best bet was to charge him with transporting Summer across states for illegal purposes. A total of five brides were willing to testify and Tony was indicted on 10 counts of interstate transportation of a minor for sex. He was moved to Arkansas to await trial. By the time they went to trial, the prosecution had 25 to 30 witnesses to testify against Tony. These witnesses had been wives, former members who had been who had witnessed the abuse or even endured abuse. In July of 2009, the trial began at the Texarkana Federal Courthouse. Witnesses were terrified that he'd be found innocent again. Fortunately, Tony was found guilty on all 10 counts. The judge sentenced him to 175 years in federal prison which was the max sentence he could receive. Over four decades, Tony had been named in 18 lawsuits. In 2012, during his testimony in a child abuse suit, he said to the court, I'm a dangerous dude, man. (laughs) Cool. Cool. I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous dude, y'all. Dangerous. Shut up. He told them that if he got out of prison, he'd do the same thing again. At least he's honest. I mean, yeah, thank you for your honesty, I guess. In 2017, at 82 years old, Tony Alamo died in the Federal Medical Center in Butner, North Carolina. His cause of death was not released. The Tony Alamo Christian Ministry still exists and has a website with recordings of Tony's sermons and his and Susan's stories of becoming prophets of God. Basically, what they have on their website is lies. They still hold meetings and continue to recruit nationwide. As far as we've been able to research, there haven't been any more allegations of abuse. Mm. I mean, Mm -hmm. absolutely ridiculous. The whole thing. And you have to wonder, like, I mean, Susan was already conning people before she met Tony. Tony was already conning people before he met Susan. But without them together, you have to wonder. I think that they would have just been like small time con artists. Right. Yeah. If there would have been something this big. Oh man. I just can't believe that stuff like this can happen. I know. I know. Ruined Mm -hmm. so many lives all for what? So I can get your $250 paycheck every week. And like, you know, I mean, it made them super rich, but just. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Dan. Absolutely. I also just want to point out, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I refuse to believe that Dolly Parton knew what was happening. I know she didn't. I'm saying I know, but I don't know that, she, that you know. Like, oh, right. I will not, there is no world where Dolly Parton knew this and would have been like, all right, I'll support it. Yeah, yeah. I think if she had known anything was happening, she would have flown her ass down there herself Absolutely. and performed a citizen's arrest. Mm-hmm. Or she would have helped the FBI. Yeah, do and people would have listened something. because I still, I don't know, I just say it to be funny, but I'm like, through Dolly Parton, all things are possible. Like, this is the life mm-hmm. that I'm living. I trust in Dolly. Yeah. And I, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Dolly we trust. Yep. Um, also, just to like throw this out there, we're by no means Bible scholars. I don't really know a ton about the Bible. I just know that everything that they said is not true because they are right. cult leaders. Or it could have cult been a situation do. where they picked and they cherry picked Things from the Bible and yeah. used it to their benefit and took it completely out of context and, mm-hmm. yeah, flipped it. So, exactly. There's just no way 100%. because if you follow the Bible the way that it is meant to be studied and followed, you would never get here. No, exactly. No, yeah, it's impossible. Contradiction to exactly what the Bible states. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know how much of your stuff made it through this if it's all outside. Oh, yeah. I've, I mean, the last thing that I had on my list was just (laughs) blowtorch my house at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's just all out there. We need to set her on fire and rebuild. Yeah. Um, But definitely check out our Instagram post on this case. And I think a great question to ask is what kind of music (laughs) do you think Tony Alamo did listen to? Right. What was allowed? Yeah. You know, the. I'm interested to see what you guys think. Miami Vice. Fucking hilarious. Theme song. Is that it? (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. He's looking like Glenn Guglia <laughs> with his suits and shit. Exactly. Yes. And I, I feel like I've yeah. been living a lie. I didn't realize that Miami Vice was a religious work. Oh, I didn't either. Yeah. You learn something new every day. you know. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, we love you guys and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. (laughs) What? Oh my god, he's still going. There's this sweet little family across the street at the park, and this tiny little boy, he's gotta be he's gotta be like three. Oh, he's still doing it. Three three at best. And he's waving his arms like like a helicopter or like um how would you describe it? Remember those duck things that granddaddy would make that were like in the wind, they would just like swing. uh That's what he's doing, and he is running. And just swinging his arms as the... Fun. Oh, he's, still, he's doing it again. There he goes. He's just having like the best time he's ever had. It's so cute. That's <laughs> That's I just, like, oh, look at him go. And then he just didn't stop. And I couldn't... I'm sorry. I couldn't stop laughing about it. <laughs> I was like, are you going to like... Are you laughing about the jackets? I mean, they're no. not that funny. No, but. it's a sweet little <laughs> kid.